This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 27th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. It was just a few years ago the city of Philadelphia turned its prosecutorial resources into an asset forfeiture machine that seized hundreds of homes from innocent owners each year. Darpana Sheth represents innocent property owners in a class action with the Institute for Justice. We talked about why the racket in Philly may soon be coming to an end. Philadelphia does not have a very good reputation uh, when it comes to seizing innocent owners' property and then selling it and funneling that money back into more law enforcement. So what was the case that set off all of these uh, challenges that the Institute for Justice has made in Philadelphia? So about four years ago, the Institute for Justice filed uh, a federal class action to challenge Philadelphia's system, which at the time was the largest municipal forfeiture program. Philadelphia had really turned civil forfeiture into this kind of machine that was taking more than 1,200 homes, more than 3,500 vehicles, and more than $50 million in cash from its residents, many of whom were never even charged with a crime. And this forfeiture machine was fueled by a very direct but perverse financial incentive. Uh, As you noted, police and prosecutors were allowed to keep and use forfeiture revenue as they saw fit. And so they really amassed a forfeiture uh, slush fund of um, just in that time period from 2002 to 2014, um, a forfeiture uh, slush fund of about $72 million. Now, for people who have been uh, had their property seized, what kind of process were they given in order to begin trying to get their property back? It was really no process at all, uh, certainly not one that could be considered due process. Um, Over decades, Philadelphia's system involved filing these cookie-cutter legal documents and complaints that were filed by prosecutors that were paid completely with forfeiture funds. Um, There were these so-called hearings that were run by those same prosecutors in this sham courtroom in City Hall without any judge. It's the now infamous Courtroom 478. And in these hearings, property owners received little notice or few procedural protections. Um, They weren't even really told what civil forfeiture is. Uh, Many of them thought uh, it was some kind of – it was related to a criminal case, uh, understandably so. Um, And instead, they thought that the prosecutors were – public defenders there to help them. Um, Instead, uh, these property owners were forced to prove their own innocence without the help of any attorney. What were they told, you know, don't bring an attorney with you? Or were these people explicitly told this is, uh, you'll be, you know, this is an advocate working on your behalf? No, it was more implicit. But they were explicitly told by prosecutors that they did not need an attorney. Um, This would all be relatively simple. Uh, They could resolve the whole forfeiture complaint through settlement. And if they just uh, give up half of what they, of their property value, most in most cases it was cash, um, this would all just go away. And, you know, with this kind of sham proceeding in which prosecutors called all the shots, many property owners just kind of gave up and went along and some didn't even show up. Uh, If they missed a single so-called hearing, their property would be lost through default, just automatically taken. 
And so there really was no process at all for property owners. So if they miss a meeting with a prosecutor, then all their their property is simply lost. Right, through default. Now, the prosecutor characterized these so-called meetings as hearings, and they did take place in a courtroom. It was just there was no judge there, no judicial supervision of this process at all. As you mentioned, 1,200 homes seized by the city of Philadelphia. Um, I think it was as many as 300 to 500 a year being seized by uh, the government of Philadelphia. What has happened now? So as of last week, uh, the parties filed a uh, joint uh, consent decree. There's twin consent decrees in which the city, the district attorney's office, and the Philadelphia's first judicial district, so the state court system, have agreed to sweeping reforms. Um, First and foremost, the settlement, if approved by a court, uh, because this is a class action, so any uh, settlement has to be approved by the court, um, first and foremost, this settlement will end law enforcement's profit incentive. It will end the pursuit of revenue over the pursuit of justice. And rather than padding law enforcement budgets, forfeiture revenue will now go towards helping communities with drug prevention and treatment programs. And so that is a key part of this um, of this agreement. I mean, that is almost unprecedented to have the end of of this um, profit incentive. Uh, The second part is that the agreement strengthens the the whole process. So it strengthens protections for property owners going through civil forfeiture. Uh, It transformed those Kafka-esque process that I described through which property was seized and forfeited into something that's more befitting of the birthplace of our Constitution. And finally, the agreement takes all remaining forfeiture revenue that the city and the DA have collected and establishes a $3 million fund so that innocent property owners can get back every dollar they lost. Now, I want to be clear, there was, there was a mention here of, of some people being able to collect $90. And I thought at first blush, I thought, well, that seems like cold comfort for a lot of these people. But when people have had uh, significant pieces of property seized, they will receive either full value or uh, some large fraction of the value of that property back. Right. So if approved by the court, the first payment will be up to $90 to each member of the class. And that's you know, at this point, um, estimated to be about 23,000 people who ag- who went through the forfeiture system, even if they didn't end up losing their property. Uh, it's just sort of a recognition of the violation of their rights. After that, um, innocent property owners, so those who didn't have any conviction or diversionary disposition associated in, the, in their forfeiture case, um, will receive up to 100% of the value of their property. And then assuming there is funds, uh, le- there are funds left over, then first-time low-level offenders um, who were sent to this kind of diversionary program would receive up to 75% of the value of their property back. And these figures are all based on, of course, it depends on the uh, total number of claims. So the ultimate figures won't be able to be determined until first the court grants approval and second um, we see the total number of claims and and how, how they would be distributed according to the fund. 
And one of the the things that uh, IJ noted in its uh, release on this was that uh, one of the agreements that uh, Philadelphia made is that there would be no seizures for less than a thousand dollars if it were a part of an, uh, or evidence in a criminal case. What does that mean? Why why a thousand dollars, and why is that important? Uh, so just to clarify, there's there's no seizure of less than a thousand dollars. Unless there is a um, arrest or is evidence in a criminal case. And the reason for that is because Philadelphia had been basically conducting what we call lunch money forfeitures. They were taking as little as $9 from people off the street, really treating its citizens like ATMs. And the idea is that if civil forfeiture is intended to um, take property that is related to a crime, well, there's really no evidence of criminal activity with such um, small dollar figures. If the city of Philadelphia is unable to take uh, forfeited funds or property that then creates forfeited funds, if they're unable to put that back into law enforcement or prosecutorial resources, do you expect that uh, forfeitures in Philadelphia, at least of this kind, will simply dry up? Uh, yes, we, we definitely think so. And um, I think the district attorney himself has noted that he expects civil forfeiture to be used very sparingly going forward. And, and I think he estimated about 1% of the cases um, because, you know, the obvious question with this um, – agreement is, well, why not just end civil forfeiture entirely? Uh, no one in America should lose their property without being convicted of a crime. And so we expect that after, uh, if the court approves these consent decrees, civil forfeiture um, program will, will essentially uh, be dismantled. Going forward, if another city is watching this that has some sort of similar program, first of all, are you aware of other cities that were doing this, to, you know, even close to the degree that Philadelphia was? Not perhaps at that level, but certainly there are many jurisdictions across the country that uh, um, are, are using forfeiture uh, as a revenue generation tool. And so to all of those cities and jurisdictions, we say, um, take a look at this at these consent decrees. Um, it shouldn't take a major federal lawsuit and uh, don't wait to be sued. Look at these agreements and decide that your citizens deserve better as well. So go, uh, again, going forward, are there, this was a class action. Has IJ engaged in class action work before? Uh, this was our first class action, but since we filed this lawsuit about four years ago, we now have about uh, five to six other class actions, uh, mostly uh, challenging forfeiture programs across the country. For example, we're challenging the federal forfeiture program in um, the Customs and Border Protections forfeiture and seizures, uh, both in Houston and in Cleveland. And we have a class action in um, New York, or putative class action, I should say, in New York about their nuisance uh, eviction program. We also had a um, successful class action resolution in Pagedale, Missouri, about its use of uh, fines and fees. And uh, we were able to get a class action settlement that completely stopped its practices. Are class actions uh, you found to be fairly useful in when you have this sort of broad-based uh, violation of rights by a jurisdiction? Yes, I think they're especially useful when the government is able to perhaps provide individual plaintiffs with immediate relief and try to moot the case. So, for example, in forfeiture cases, it's it's all too easy um, for the government to simply try to return 
the plaintiff's property but still continue their forfeiture program. And that's exactly what Philadelphia did here. Um, Soon after we filed the lawsuit, um, the city of Philadelphia and the district attorney's office dropped the forfeiture actions against our individual clients. But because it was brought um, on behalf of a class, that did not stop the lawsuit from moving forward. Darpana Sheth is a senior attorney at the Institute for Justice. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 